Happy Friday, everyone, and thank you for joining us on Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Coppernell-Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Alicia Priest, president of the OEA. Fried Okra is a weekly podcast where we get together to talk about public education issues in Oklahoma. We hope you join us every Friday. Let's start off with our first guest, uh, Amanda Ewing, all things legislative and political organizing. Amanda, how are you doing today? Doing great, thanks. Good. We uh, we want to check in with you about several different things that are. Well, it seems like there are a lot of things on the fire right now. Um, just real quick, we've had several questions about the cola. Do we have any updates? Anything about the cost of living adjustment for retirees? Um, nothing major. That is still moving along, and we are still Good. optimistic that it's going to happen. Our pension coalition is reaching out to legislators and and you know urging them to keep moving forward mm-hmm. with it, but. Um, you know, we're still going to have to wait and see what happens when the legislature actually comes back into session uh, later in May. Okay, gotcha. So um, the other big thing that's on everybody's mind is um, the things that the governor is saying about his uh, discretionary spending for the COVID relief package. Um, what What is happening? What is going on? Well, yeah, so we're, we're talking about $40 million, mm-hmm. which is a lot. And so mm-hmm. Um, last week when the governor said at his press conference that he was thinking about spending that money on vouchers, uh, we moved into action. OEA members contacted him uh, like crazy last week saying, uh, that's not okay. We've got to spend this COVID relief money on areas where we need COVID relief. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, our schools have a lot of urgent needs, and that's where the, the money needs to go. Um, I'd say this week I'm seeing some good signs that perhaps – the governor and his office are moving away from that. Uh, the Secretary of Education and Secretary of State, Mike Rogers, sent a message to legislators uh, saying they were looking at lots of things, and, and it sounded like maybe he was walking back from that. But, and, but I've got uh, a question. A, oh, yeah. Well, that's what I was going to ask about. Right? <laughs> okay. uh, yesterday at a, at a press conference, uh, a reporter asked him about, uh, asked the governor about that money, and he mentioned nothing about vouchers, said it was all going to go to education, uh, didn't give any specifics, but um, the fact that you know, he didn't kind of double down and mention vouchers again made me think uh, perhaps we're making some some headway there. Well, um, you mentioned that OEA members have uh, have contacted like crazy. We've actually seen more than a thousand uh, folks send letters to the governor on our Action Network page. Um, it's incredible. People are really speaking out and saying what it is that their schools actually need in real life. That is so helpful. I mean, we know that that's the emails alone, right? And yeah. plenty of other people made phone calls, right. and, and we know that the uh, school board association was encouraging its members to contact the governor. Uh-huh. So I think that uh, he got a lot of contact over this issue, and it's no surprise. The public overwhelmingly opposes vouchers. Mm-hmm. So especially in a time like now, when you're talking about emergency funds, this is the last thing that people want to see money spent on. Yeah, I know pastors for Oklahoma kids and the parent legislative action committees were, uh, were also putting out lots of information about, you know, what vouchers take away from public schools. And because this is, I mean, in this emergency situation, our schools have emergency needs. I mean, there are real, there are real emergencies. Yes. This is not, I mean, vouchers are not an emergency. Ever. Ever. <laughs> um, Period. So speaking of money, um, the budget, everything uh, looks pretty dim. 
It does, unfortunately. I know we've seen this week that the price of oil is at a historic low. Uh, I mean, people are actually paying to get rid of oil instead of selling it at a profit. And so um, that obviously impacts our economy in a huge way in Oklahoma. And, you know, there's also still so much uncertainty uh, from week to week about, Mm -hmm. you know, what the financial impact of this certain, you know, this situation we're in right now is going to be. So it's it's clear that the legislature is really trying to um, get down to it and, and start figuring out the numbers for mm-hmm. the budget. They have to put out a budget by the end of May. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from what I'm hearing, I mean, it's, it's a tough job. It is looking like uh, there's a good chance that there will be some budget cuts, um, Probably, I mean, probably every agency, I mean, yeah. education included, yeah. could get uh, at least a small cut. I mean, I think education, it, it wouldn't surprise me if they got a two, if we get a two or three percent cut. But I also know, I mean, I'm hearing from legislators personally saying we are going to do everything in our power. You know, if, if they can possibly hold education harmless, mm-hmm. they will. Um, they just have to make sure that holding education harmless doesn't mean that every other state agency, you know, many of which our students depend upon, take right. like a 15% cut, right. you know? Right, But But we're getting some federal money, stimulus money for government needs. What? Yes. So this is something that's confusing me right now because, you know, the, the numbers I'm seeing say that we're getting $1.5 billion in federal relief. Um, good, and we could use that. I, yeah, I think, <laughs> sounds yeah, good. Yes, I mean, please. That's huge. So I think that I think that ultimately education is going to be okay. I mean, we mm-hmm. know that you know, in addition to that forty million we were talking about, the governor having the state department of education is going to get an extra one hundred and sixty million to mm-hmm. go directly into our public schools for the next year. So I I do think when it's all said and done for this upcoming year, we are probably going to end up flat. I mean, mm-hmm. we won't, you know, it's probably not going to end up with more more money to spend, but right. at least flat. Now, of course, we know in education, we're going to have more students next year than we had right. this year. So the same amount of money is going to have to stretch further, right, right in order to um, fund our schools. But um, I'm, I'm hopeful that we're not going to end up looking at, you know, any big cuts, any big layoffs, anything like that, because obviously, I mean, we have a teacher shortage. We can't, we right. can't, you know, possibly weather having to do rifts and layoffs. Well, that's encouraging that you're hearing uh, that you're hearing from lawmakers that they are working to preserve education. That's a, that's really encouraging. I really do believe that. You know, these are this is a legislature that has um, invested in public education mm-hmm. over the last two years. Yep. You know, they've they've made some tough votes and some tough calls, and often at the you know extreme urging of the education community by you know in the form of a walkout. Uh, but right. but nevertheless, they did it. They made those right. decisions, and so I I really believe the last thing they want is to have to start undercutting what's been you know one of their biggest accomplishments in right. in the last decade. Well, I guess we're just going to have to see how it goes. I'm I'm anxious. I mean, it just feels like, you know, six more weeks until the end, until Sine die. I mean, so much could happen. So much could change. It just feels like forever. Yeah. I know. And that's how it always is in the legislative session. Uh, Everything can change from day to day. But I want to know the ending now. And it's hurry up and wait. Can <laughs> I just skip to the last page and read that? Oh. I know. I'm with you. I do too. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, thank you so much for all, all the updates, Amanda. We appreciate you. Thanks very much, y'all. Thank you. Again. Okay, today we're joined by Clark Fraley of Pastors for Oklahoma Kids. Thank you so much, Pastor Fraley, for coming to chat with us. Thanks for having me. So tell, uh, for somebody who has never heard of um, Pastors for Oklahoma Kids, tell us about what you guys do and why. So basically, we are a group of pastors that advocate for public school kids in Oklahoma. So around 700,000 kids in Oklahoma that go to public Mm -hmm. schools across our 77 counties, Mm -hmm. and we have churches in every one of those counties. And so uh, we just realized a few years ago that there was some negative rhetoric about our schools. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing was, uh, all of us have teachers in our our churches. So they're usually working in our nursery or teaching our Sunday school classes or on our boards and we just were stunned by the amount of things that were being said about them. Mm-hmm. And so we just felt the need to kind of step up and say, that's not what's happening in our community. Now, um, the failing schools and all that kind of right. rhetoric, right. we just thought was really silly. And then there was anti-religious rhetoric coming out. And so we just wanted to be like, hey, we're the experts in the room. And that's not, <laughs> that's not you know, don't use don't use that anymore. And so. you're and you are a pastor currently. Yes. Yes. I've been a pastor for 20 years now. Um, about to do my 21st year. Great. So. so Draw draw the line between draw connect the dots between religion and public education. Yeah. So um, in researching the history, even of our state, it was really interesting to kind of find out where we come from. Like, where does mm-hmm. public school originate from? Where mm-hmm. does this idea come from? And a lot of people think they know because they've studied maybe international history or something uh-huh. or the history of the United States. But Oklahoma has a really unique story. Yeah. Our first state superintendent of education was a pastor, a Baptist pastor. I did not know that. Reverend E.D. Cameron, who Cameron University is named after. Uh-huh. He also was the first person to turn spade of dirt at OU. So he established both no those way. universities. Um, also had a big hand in OBU in Shawnee. And so he was the, his real concern was, as he preached uh, across Oklahoma, was that the rural kids were being overlooked. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had urban kids in schools uh, sure. and wealthier kids in what we called, I didn't even know this, uh, subscription schools. Yes. That's what they were called. Yes, that's such a fascinating idea. So yeah. private school was all there was. Right. Or the church was trying to do some mission schools. Sure. But by and large, most of your kids did not have any sort of education. Mm-hmm. And so all his vision was this what's funny back in 1907, his vision was just that we would have up through eighth grade in rural communities to and give them a taste of education. Right, he right. And he said, if we didn't do that, some of these kids would never get any sort of education. Yep, absolutely. And so uh, it was kind of a depressing thing. If you go back and look at our history about who was getting educated and who wasn't getting educated, mm-hmm. Reverend Cameron, you know, becomes this crusader basically for public yeah. education in Oklahoma, gets it established. Uh, you go back and look at some of these old documents, his 1908 report to the legislature. It's just, it's full of amazing things that you wouldn't think of pastors saying today. And yet you look back at the history, you're like, of course we should be involved in public education. Right, right. This is a common good. This is a thing right. for all of our communities. Right. Most of our churches in Oklahoma are in small towns. Mm-hmm. And pretty much as the local public school goes, who is also the largest employer in Absolutely. most of those towns, yeah. so goes the town. And right. so, uh, and I grew up, it's hard, I think now, maybe even for my kids to understand that because we're in a large suburban school district. Yeah. But I grew up in a class A school. And mm-hmm. so the church mm-hmm. and the school and the gas station, that's all there was, you yes, know? Yes. And so uh, I saw those things working together and not against each other. Right. And so then when you right. come... 20 years later, and it's like we're at each other's throats, it just kind of made me go, this is not the way this is supposed to be. Well, back to Cameron, uh, in that 1908 thing, he said that the public schools in Oklahoma were the glory of the state of Oklahoma. Oh, I love that. And I was like, 
I want that on a mug. Right? I, I know. love that. I, I couldn't believe that. Uh, he talked about our teachers, within short order, would be the highest paid in the entire nation. And that mission has been accomplished. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> but it just goes to look at the values that you have back then. Right. And what he was saying were important. And it wasn't like he had big detractors and think tanks arguing against <laughs> right, him. Right. People were like, he's absolutely right. right. We've got to make this investment. And they did it. You know, the legislators made sure it happened and everybody was working in one accord to make that happen. So, um, you know, you don't want to um, paint something as being too positive and wonderful. There were still huge challenges sure. in early Oklahoma. Sure, of course. And uh, a lot of things they needed to overcome. And we've made such good improvements. But that was an attitude almost that I looked at and was like, wow, we need to recapture that sense of working together for our communities. And most of the time, what you read about in the newspaper and the television accounts is kind of a caricature, I think, of our mm -hmm. small towns. Because yes. most of the folks that I've yes. been dealing with as I travel the state and talk to people, they're like, yeah, we read that, but that's not what our school's doing. You right. know, that's not our school. Right. And that's the thing that comes back to me and, and why I hate the word government schools being used as a negative connotation right. is because public schools with a locally elected school board and local teachers that live yeah. in that community yeah. are reflective of the community almost more than any other organization you can imagine. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember who it was, but somebody I found a writing said it was the purest form of democracy that exists, yes. the local public school board. Yes. Because what are the, I mean, and you think about it, even a mayor of a city isn't as close as that school district. Right. The school district is tiny to uh, county lines and city lines right. and districts for Senate and House. Right. So you've got these people that are literally your neighbors mm -hmm. that are elected for a term that you can then run for yourself. Right. And, you know, in Oklahoma, school districts aren't, there's not huge campaigns to run for these most of the time. Right. You know, it's just you're getting around and knocking on doors or going to a few basketball games, telling people who you are. Yeah. And uh, and that and so I just think that recapturing that kind of attitude about how we can work together uh, is really important. And so that's kind of what we were born out of. So to me, that sounds like a very non-denominational message. You're, so t can you talk about your coalition? Yeah, it's awesome. So uh, so I've been a pastor like I said, for 20 years and I've kind of observed over those years, you know, I entered, I entered in 2000 was my first year to become a pastor and uh, full-time at least. And so I kind of observed over the years that churches didn't work together on very much. Mm. Like rarely would churches of different denominations and sometimes even in your own denomination, you know, sure. if you were a, a different kind of worshiper or something, they wouldn't work together. Right. Sometimes they would work together to collect food for the hungry. Right. Sometimes. Right. And not argue over where it was going. <laughs> but hardly anything else would unite us. And in this organization, it's been, you know, we, we're not a huge, uh, we don't have a lot of money to spend up mailers or anything. We're not recruiting people. Right. And yet we have attracted people from almost every den denomination imaginable. I mean, we yeah. have um, Baptists, we have Lutherans, we have Episcopalians, we have mm -hmm. non-denominational yeah. churches that I've never heard of before <laughs> in parts of Oklahoma that I'm like, okay, I think I know where that town yeah, is. Yeah. And so we have uh, very urban people. We mm -hmm. have suburban people. We have very rural all the way out. Uh, our latest, one of our latest signups was from the Panhandle. Awesome. And uh, I just thought how interesting it is that we're geographically diverse. We're denominationally diverse. Now we are a purely Christian organization. So mm -hmm. we're all Christian churches, mm -hmm. but within that context, all over the state, all sizes of school districts represented, mm -hmm. And I've just never been a part of something like that. I, I mean, I've tried to be a part of different groups that have different kinds of people working together with that in particular. And what I find that unites us is not 
um, some kind of political agenda or anything, but it's just the common welfare of the kids of the state of Oklahoma. And I think a lot of pastors are in their position because they care about their whole community and right. they care about the whole state too. So I think that's what's united us is just that sense of something's not right. Something wasn't right. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to be a part of just standing up and, and writing that as much as we could. So I'm interested. Do you get pushback ever? <laughs> yes. Is that a, I'm going to presume that's a yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know. Uh, we've come to kind of create little categories for what pushback we're getting, whether it's uh, ignorance. And that's just, it's a common one, you know, and I feel that because um, I felt very ignorant. I mean, I wasn't when I roll back before uh, we started this organization, I wasn't a great voter. I wasn't well versed in a lot of things. Sure, sure. Um, I mean, so, you know, it's taken me a lot to catch up with that. I would vote in presidential elections, good. usually. Way to go. Uh, right, America. <laughs> but uh, this really woke me up to not, you know, how little impact, obviously, my vote for president really matters, but how important my vote is for uh, local matters. Yes. And oh, my knowing word. who those candidates are and yes. knowing what they stand for and are they going to represent me well or are they totally on a different page? Yeah. And so, um so, yeah, there's pushback from people that are just ignorant like I was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's you can deal with that a little better because sure. you can go, OK, you're angry, but look. Yeah. And let's yeah, yeah. talk about it. And have you had these experiences? Then you got your people that are paid to be angry with you. And I think those are probably <laughs> the uh, the I most like frustrating. Yes. Um, it's just the paid actors. And you're like, you know, and they're nice people. Honestly, I, I, I'm like Will Rogers. I've never met a person I really don't like. Yeah. But. Some of them get pretty close uh, <laughs> just because you're like, come on. Yeah, yeah. You know, but I've sat down with coffee with people, uh, you know, very much opposed to what we say and what we stand for. And I end up liking the person always. Sure, I always sure. like the person. I'm always like, man. Come and on, sometimes yeah. they're convinced they're wrong, but they're convinced what they're doing is right. Sure. And sometimes I can tell, you know, they're just paid to say this. So uh, I think those are the most frustrating. And they're the more, honestly, they're the ones that, you know, come after us more than anything. But. So what is your typical response to people who, when you explain what mm -hmm. Pastors for Oklahoma Kids does and is, um, do people draw that connection between um, the the common good of public ed and what churches do, the function of churches? Sometimes. Yeah. You know, some get it immediately. Yeah. I mean, it's almost a no-brainer. Um, and to me, I have to kind of work backwards and reverse engineer it a little bit because okay. it wasn't obvious to me always. And so I have to kind of go, okay, yeah, where yeah. was I a few years ago? Right, right. Um, other than dropping off copy paper or something, but really becoming involved in the schools and becoming an advocate, that's different, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, sure. and so everybody's on a journey, I think. And some people are not comfortable with that level yet yeah. of advocacy. So uh, we have to honor that and say, well, what are you comfortable with? Are you, yeah. Would you, would you interact with the local school? Would you pray for them? Would you take things to them? Would you have tutors? Would you serve? Sure. And then we kind of have this continuum where they, the more, honestly, that that's been our kind of process is the more they get involved in serving, the more they see the needs and go, Oh wow. I mean, that's how I got yeah. involved. Yeah. I started questioning, why does the school need copy paper? Why does the school running out of these things? This is ridiculous. And then saying, Oh, sitting down in conversation yeah. with the principal and going, Oh, it's our fault for not, you know, representing and saying, Hey, we need these resources. What do you think that you just individually have taken away from this whole process? And what do you think, how do you think that that has affected your life as a pastor? Okay. Yeah. So I think it's, it's altered my life as a pastor in some pretty <laughs> foundational ways. 
because I was always that person that kind of had the attitude that um, politics was not a part of my profession. Mm. And so yeah. never told anyone how to vote, never even, I don't even know that we ever mentioned voting in church. And so, and I still feel that way as far as partisan things, sure, as far course. as um, I don't think it's my role, but I think there are things that happen in the political world that impact people in such a profound way right. that to not speak on them, now I would feel worse about than speaking on them. And so, right, right. Um, and I think it's uncomfortable for people that have been kind of bought into that idea that um, religion and politics don't mix, which in many ways I would agree with them. That's absolutely right. They don't mix together, but there's some ways that religion informs the decisions we make in politics. Mm. And common mm-hmm. good is one of those things that it comes back to. Uh, I can't very easily love my neighbor as myself, like Jesus told us to, if I don't want the same things for kids in southeastern Oklahoma that my right. kids here in central Oklahoma have, or northeastern Oklahoma, or uh, an urban school, or a suburban, or a rural school. So I've got, and that's what, you know, that's what Cameron, the heart of what he's saying is, these kids have it good in our urban centers. Yeah. But we've got rural kids that are being left behind and will never, ever move forward. And I think, uh, just applying that to modern days is kind of what we're trying to do. Are there particular scriptures that you circle back to or you lean on in this particular kind of work? Yeah, so the the great commandments of Jesus is what typically forms the basis, whether I'm talking to a, a Christian group or a secular group. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, you know, uh, for the very groups that are very secular, I've had to say, look, this is where I'm coming from. I just need sure, you to hear yeah. where I'm at. Right. I'm not saying you have to believe this or anything. And so, you know, I, I had I did, I did a talk in uh, Indianapolis and I did that talk and I talked about the, the great commandments of Jesus to, to love the Lord our God and love our neighbors ourselves. And I said, you know, I, I gave that exact example. I've got to want for my kids and other kids the same thing. And, mm-hmm. and that's equity in yeah. education is the is your word for it. But my word right. for it is I've got to want the same thing. And I had a guy come up to me afterwards and he said, you know, he said, uh, I've been an atheist my whole life. But he's like, the way you talk about this, Jesus, I'm going to have to reconsider wow. my negative position on that. He's like, I'm not saying, you know, I'm going to church or anything, <laughs> but he's like, I, I'm going to have to reconsider because he said that wow. that really impacted me. And I thought that is so interesting that uh, Jesus has such bad PR that, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that we've gotten away from that core because that's his core teaching. There's sure. there's nothing more fundamental than the great commandments of Jesus yeah. where he gives us our marching orders. So uh, it was really it was really instructional for me and, and understanding that it, almost anybody from any faith can understand that like that yeah. is that is core. And then so for the Christian pastors I work with, you know, calling them back to that is is really all it seems like we're doing is just saying hey, there's people that are working really hard every day with the kids that live in our community. The kids that we see once a week, yeah, they're dealing with every day for right. hours every day. We see them 40 hours a year. These people are seeing them 40 hours a week. You know? right, right. And, and so they're, they're on the front lines of real ministry. So if we want to be a part of that ministry, then what we would call ministry, sure. um, then we've got to come alongside and support them as best we can. And with resources, with people, whatever they need. And so we try to come in with this idea of open hands and closed mouths. That's kind of how we talk about it. Like, I like that. You know, that's, not that's coming in wanting something sure, from sure. the school, but what do we want for the school? So yeah. we want the kids to be fed. We want them to be um, safe. We want them to have an environment where they can learn and become the best version of themselves. And ultimately, one of the biggest things I've talked to um, pastors in Oklahoma about is, 
we need kids that can read. If we really believe yep. that they need to have an opportunity to read the Bible for themselves, then they've got to be able to read. So right. we've got to support reading education. We've got to support opportunities for these teachers to have one-on-one -on -one with these kids and help them move up in reading. So, um, but that's been the biggest thing is just kind of coming back to that idea that uh, we didn't create this idea on our own, uh, this Jesus idea of common good. Because, I mean, when I talk about common good, I usually talk about that with secular audience. Uh -huh. I usually talk about the great commandments with the, uh -huh. with the Christian audience. To me, they are interchangeable. They're sure. the same idea um, that we're looking out for, not just me and mine, but mm -hmm. we're looking out for. And so that's why I love public education, because it's looking out for every child in Oklahoma and providing a safe space for them to come. What um, message would you have for educators and support professionals listening? Um, what do you want them to know um, from pastors for Oklahoma kids? I think our biggest word is just one of thanks. And um, I, I'm kind of done with my apology tour. I did that for a while where I was, <laughs> well, it, it just felt like um, when we came about in 2016, we knew we were the new guys and we're still so new to this. Sure. And uh, it just felt bad coming in that late to the game and not, being aware in, and uh so i talk about that a lot i used to use but, the, but you're here so right, that right. counts that counts <laughs> we used i used to use the word woke and i got a big laugh out of that every time because <laughs> i'm too old to use that word but um but that was kind of the feeling is that several of us kind of expressed is we're like wow we didn't realize it was this bad yeah um and, and so just realizing how can we be a part of that so we would just say encouragement i think first um, thanking the teachers for what they do and for really for soldiering along this far yeah. and not really having the support in a lot of ways of the community yeah. other than maybe outbursts here and there. And you do have some that were great. But um, and, and so for now, I would say, you know, we're with you. We want to stand with you. We want to have your back. I think that's the, the biggest message is just we don't want teachers to feel alone. And, and we hope that that supports their morale and gives them a boost as they enter the classroom. And welcome to Alicia's Morning Announcements on Fried Okra, the Friday education podcast for the OEA. I'm going to start out by telling you about the OEA Delegate Assembly, which you may have heard our board of directors uh, chose to do it virtually this year for the safety and well-being of our members. And so you can go to okea.org slash delegate assembly to hear all about it. Uh, also to sign up to watch it. Uh, that is for members only. It will be online virtually. We're using a go-to webinar as the platform. Um, and Friday, April 24th is the last day to turn in your credentials. So if you have not uh, turned in your credentials and your local is eligible to send somebody to Delegate Assembly, this is a perfect time to get those credentials in and be able to participate in Delegate Assembly without having to take off work because it's on Saturday, May 9th. Uh, you won't miss any time with your students. You'll be in the comfort of your own home and, um, and you can help us guide the work of the Oklahoma Education Association. So make sure that you have gotten in your credentials. We, because it is a you know, extenuating circumstances. We are only going over the basics, uh, the most essential parts of our association work that needs to be done. Uh, the budget, our resolutions, which are our belief statements and our legislative goals. So um, those are the three big chunks of work we'll be doing in delegate assembly. Our 
this last two weeks, we have held 21 check-ins. Those are teletown, those are town hall meetings. We did them via Zoom with our members. And we heard a lot of feedback from you about things that you need to help you have success, uh, that are in, in response to um, professional development. So our teaching and learning staff has created several uh, trainings on Wednesdays. We're doing these on Wednesdays from 4.30 to 6. We started last Wednesday, but um, so this next Wednesday, April 29th, is Google Classroom and Google Suite question and answer. It's facilitated by one of our board members, Dustin DeVore and Woodward's Jason Harrison. So um, go on our Facebook page, look for that event and sign up. Um, then the then Thursday, April 30th, we'll have secondary project-based learning uh, for distance learning and classroom settings. We've got a couple of our members, Heather Davis from Bartlesville, and um, who else? Uh, that's all. Just just, just Heather, because that's all we need, <laughs> actually. <laughs> She's amazing. Uh, Going to talk about project-based learning. That is geared for secondary. We are scheduling an elementary project-based learning coming up. Um, also for social emotional learning best practices and um, special education. So those will be coming up. Look for those on Facebook, The Edge, our um, webpage and all of that. Um, also on April 29th, but from 6.30 to 8, our aspiring educators, those are our uh, folks that are in colleges and universities that want to become teachers, are going to have a distance learning best practices panel. Um, so if you are an aspiring educator uh, and you want to join in on that, look for the information on the Facebook page as well. Then I'm going to switch over to uh, some fantastic news um, that the State Department put out. On the week of March 23rd through 31st, Oklahoma schools served more than 1.7 million meals. It's amazing. That is an amazing accomplishment. Um, 645 sites, 406 school districts That's made that amazing. happen. Um, and we know that that wouldn't happen without our support professionals. Yep. The cleaning crews, the um, the child nutrition services, uh, cafeteria. I mean, I can't imagine. And teachers have been in there helping too. Absolutely. I mean, it is like like all hands on deck. It's just amazing to watch. It's Bus amazing. drivers. Yes. Because I, Sharon Hill Wooten, one of our members in Idabel, uh, is driving the bus to go. Anybody that drives the bus impresses me. It is, I did not drive the bus I, for everyone's personal safety. I one time helped a friend move and drove a, um, like a little rider truck. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, and you've never been asked to move again. <laughs> no, I managed to take out a, uh, a couple of mailboxes backing up, which is not my specialty. So, um, so I want to say a special thank you to all of our yes. folks that are out there making sure that our kids are safe and healthy and fed. Yes. Uh, I, I imagine that that 1.7 million meals has gone up because that was the, that was like the first week that we started feeding. So I'm sure we're going to get more announcements about that as uh, time goes on. 
And it now's the time that school districts need to be putting in for um, summer feeding. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I heard on a State Department meeting the other day that that can extend into July. Yes. Uh, we just need to fill out those waivers and get that information yep. in. So um, so usually we only do June feedings. Mm-hmm. Very few districts do July feedings. And we are going to be doing July feedings, it seems, across the state. Yes. Good. So, so many families that have you know, lost jobs, been furloughed, yes. um, and there's a need and, and we have a responsibility to. There was a, I mean, there was the need before and now it's magnified. A- absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, and then to turn another corner, I want to talk about an essay contest that's available for 11 to 18 year olds. Uh, find it on nondoc, N-O-N-D-O-C, nondoc.com. Uh, it is sponsored by one of their sponsors, OGNE. It's about um, what's going on with our students with COVID and the response to COVID. It is due April 30th. So go on nondoc.com and you can win some prizes. Can I, I love this contest. I love these questions. I think they're so thoughtful. Um, and they're, one of them is, um, what have you learned about yourself during the quarantine? Um, I'm going to ask my children. They're not old enough for this, but... <laughs> I'm very interested to know what they've learned about themselves. But there's another one. What is something positive that has or could come out of this experience? And that has really got me thinking like quite a lot about how our family has changed. Everybody's family's changed. Oh, cooking at home yeah. and not going through a drive through and yeah. eating in the car on the way to something. Yeah. Um, sitting down at night and playing Uno. Yeah. I mean, we like for us, we've all, uh, my husband's working at home too. So we've all just all been together in our teeny tiny house. (laughs) Um, But it's, uh, it has all the things that my husband and I always say we're going to do, you know, someday we're going to go and go out here and hike. And someday we're going to camp in the backyard and someday we're going to do this and that. And we've actually been doing those things. It's been, it's actually been very positive. That's awesome. My someday is someday I'm going to clean that closet out and I'm still waiting on someday to get here. (laughs) That has not changed. (laughs) Well, thank you for joining us today on Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Carpenter Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Alicia Priest, president of the OEA. We hope you'll join us again next week on Fried Okra. Until then, keep fighting the good fight for public education.